Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to have you with us today. I'm glad to be back this week after being at Parent and Me Camp. Last weekend, camp was awesome. And I'm excited today. I've been looking forward to this sermon all week. We've spent uh, five weeks on the life of Joseph so far, and today is the big conclusion. And there is so much we can learn from the life of Joseph. We could spend many more weeks uh, going through his life. Um, But before we get to Joe, I need to thank Stephanie and Jimmy and all the volunteers who led our all-star camp this week. Uh, They did an amazing job. Shout out to Noah Nelson for making that backwards half-court shot. Everybody, every kid who participated in this just had a great experience, and we're going to celebrate them at the end of the service today. I also need to take a moment to say Happy Father's Day to all the dads who are with us here in person and watching online. You know, fatherhood is a high calling. It's a holy calling. And what better way to honor our fathers than to give them a root beer float? It's actually probably better ways to honor dads, but that's what we're doing today. So fathers, make sure before you leave, head out to the gathering area, get your root beer float before you leave. And I do need to mention one more thing. Next week is worship at the park, just seven days away. And I want to make sure you don't come to this building next week because you will be very lonely. You need to meet us out at AJ Jolly Park at 10 a.m., It's going to be a lot of fun things happening out there. It's going to be a great day for our church family. But let's remember, this is not just for us. We want to think about those who are not here, but they could join us next week. There are people who might be more likely to come to the park than come to this building. So think about who you could invite to join us, especially those who aren't connected with a church right now or may not be connected with Jesus. We're praying that God will use this day to help lead others to Him. So take the invitation in your bulletin, uh, invite someone you know to join us, get online and spread the word. Worship at the park next Sunday at 10. And now we need to jump back into the story of Joseph. Uh, We've covered a lot of ground in this series, and Troy did a great job last week of bringing us right up to the conclusion And before we land the plane here, I want to go back to the two big questions that we've been asking throughout this series. Question number one, what difference does it make when you truly believe that God is with you? And question number two, what difference does it make when you truly believe that God will eventually set things right if you keep trusting in Him? Now, we've seen in Joseph's life that these beliefs make a huge difference in how you live through all the good times and all the bad times, through all the ups and the downs. Joseph kept trusting God. He said, God may be silent right now, but I know he's not absent. He is with me. And I may not understand his plan right now, but I know he's got a plan, and he will eventually set things right. So no, I'm not in control here, but I'm trusting in the one who is in control. We can learn so many lessons from Joseph, and we have one more opportunity to do that here today. Let me tell you, out of all the dramatic twists and turns that we've seen so far, uh, today might just top them all. 
So let's, t- let's dive in. We're going to start at Genesis chapter 42 this morning, and I encourage you to follow along in your Bible, or at least follow along up on the screen. And if you haven't been around uh, for this series, uh, I want to get you caught up. Uh, it's important to know a little family history as we move forward. So here's a quick review. First, Joseph was one of 12 sons. Their father was a man named Jacob, and Jacob had a favorite son. Joseph was his favorite son from his favorite wife. Yeah, Jacob had four wives. Like I said in week one, this family had some issues. But to demonstrate his favoritism, Jacob gave Joseph this beautiful, ornate coat. And at this point in the timeline of Joseph's life, this kid was riding high. Things were good. However, all of that special treatment made his brothers furious until one day they just snapped. They came very close to killing Joseph, but they stopped just short of murder and they threw him into a pit while they figured out what to do. And they finally landed on a plan to sell Joseph as a slave to a group of traders who were heading down to Egypt. And once in Egypt, Joseph became the slave of a man called Potiphar, which was a pretty good gig because Joseph got one promotion after another in that household. And things were going really well there until that very bad day when Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of attempted rape. Joseph was thrown into prison. He spent several years there. It looked like he might spend the rest of his life there. But that didn't happen. One day, finally, Joseph's big break came. Pharaoh, the great king of Egypt, had a dream that he found disturbing. He wanted to know the meaning of this dream. And God had blessed Joseph with the gift of dream interpretation. And Joseph got the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And here's what God revealed to Joseph. Egypt would very soon have seven years of abundance and prosperity. They would have far more food than they needed. But right after those seven years of abundance, there would be seven years of severe famine. So that was the interpretation. And it was kind of an amazing thing. Uh, With God's help, Joseph not only interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he also laid out a very specific plan about how Egypt could prepare for the famine years as they went through the years of abundance. And in that moment, Pharaoh said, whoa, this guy is something special. And he promoted Joseph to second in command of all Egypt, Pharaoh's right-hand man. And Joseph got to oversee the very plan he had laid out. So all of a sudden, Joseph is extremely wealthy, extremely powerful, and he also worked extremely hard to get Egypt ready for the years of famine. And this is the situation at the beginning of Genesis chapter 42. The years of abundance are already over, and they're already well into the years of famine. Now, Egypt is prepared for this, but many of the other nations were not prepared. They're running out of food. So guess who's coming to dinner? Well, let's find out. Genesis chapter 42, verse 1 says, When Jacob, Joseph's dad, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. 
Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So ten of the twelve brothers head down to Egypt. Joseph is already there, and Benjamin stays behind. Benjamin is the only other son from Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, who's now dead, by the way. So Jacob cannot, he can't stand the idea of losing Benjamin. So he's not going to put him in harm's way. And in the next part of this story, those brothers actually make three different trips down to Egypt. And the Bible takes six chapters to tell this part of the story, but we're not going to read six chapters, so I'll give you a quick summary. On that first trip, the brothers show up in Egypt looking for food. And guess who they're sent to talk to? Their little brother, Joseph. So after more than 20 years, when Joseph least expects it, his past comes back to haunt him. His brothers come in and they bow down to him. The Bible says Joseph recognized them immediately. And he also remembered those dreams from back when he was a kid. Do you remember those dreams? He dreamed that one day his brothers would bow down to him. And here it is. It's happening right before his eyes. But Joseph keeps his composure. He doesn't show his hand. Verse 8 says, Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Now, how is it possible that the brothers don't recognize Joseph? Well, actually, it makes a lot of sense. Joseph was only 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. He was 30 years old when he became the governor of Egypt. Then you had the seven years of plenty and two years of famine. So Joseph is almost 40 by this point. And a person can change a lot between age 17 and age 40. I wanted to give you a concrete example of that, so I asked the other guys on staff if they would share one of their senior pictures with me. And uh, lucky for you, they agreed to do that because these pictures are awesome. First, we need to look at Troy. Now, you'll notice <laughs> Troy had a lot more hair back then, uh, but he's not the only one. That's going to be kind of a running theme here. Next, we need to look at Jared. Jared not only had that full head of hair, he also had that sweet pencil mustache. And I've heard those are coming back, so he may want to rethink that. Now, when it came to Jimmy, I was shocked. <laughs> I honestly never would have recognized Jimmy. Uh, he's a perfect example of how much a person can change from their teenage years to their 30s. Now, I will go ahead and show you my senior picture, but... Mine, uh, it's different than the others because I, I really don't look that different from when I did back then. <laughs> Just a different haircut. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's funny. I still sort of see myself as the guy on the left, but when you put those two pictures side by side, I have to face the facts. I am getting old. All that to say, though, when the brothers came down to Egypt, Joseph had changed from a boy to a man. He was also dressed as a wealthy Egyptian, and he was speaking the Egyptian language. So, no, they have no idea who he is. But Joseph doesn't want to reveal anything yet. 
He wants to drill down a little bit and find out the state of his family and the state of their hearts. So Joseph accuses his brothers of being spies. <laughs> and they say, no, we're honest men. We're, we're all brothers. There are 12 brothers. One is long gone and one is still back home. And Joseph knows they're talking about Benjamin, his baby brother. The only brother from his mother, Rachel. And Joseph wants to see Benjamin so bad it hurts. So he tells him, okay, I'll give you a chance to prove your honesty. I'll go ahead and give you grain and you can head back home, but you need to send, you need to keep one brother here. And then I'll let him go when you bring your youngest brother back. So, This is the first trip. Joseph gives them the grain, but he keeps his brother, Simeon, and he orders the rest of them to return with Benjamin. But Joseph's brothers are devastated by this demand. It's the most difficult thing he could ask for. So they begin talking to themselves, saying, Dad, we'll never let Benjamin go. We must be, we're we're being punished right now because of what we did to Joseph. All those years ago, we were so cruel to him, and now our guilt is coming back. But as the brothers are talking, they have no idea that Joseph can understand everything they're saying. They're speaking his language. And all that pain, all that hurt from the past 23 years, it bubbles up to the surface. And while the brothers are talking, Joseph turns away where they can't see him, And he just weeps. Some of us can relate to that, can't we? Some of you have been hurt very deeply by someone else. And you got this mixture of pain and anger and shame that's settled into your soul. And you've tried to move past it, but that's been difficult to do. Because every now and then, for one reason or another, those negative feelings come back. That anger or that pain comes to the surface. And in those moments, you may want to get payback and hurt the person who originally hurt you. But sometimes that's not possible. So you might be tempted to just lash out at those around you. You might take out your anger on your spouse or your kids. That response is fairly common. But think about this. What would a person do if they were totally sure that God was with them and God would eventually set things right if they keep trusting him, put things in his hands. Let's see how that plays out in Joseph's life. Joseph does take Simeon into custody and he sends the rest home. And the brothers come home to their father, Jacob, and they give him the bad news. They say, Dad, we had to leave Simeon behind. And they won't let him come home unless we take Benjamin back with us. And so Jacob says, I guess we're going to miss old Simeon (laughs) because there is no way that's happening. Benjamin is not going. I hope you got enough food to hold us because I'm not going to let him go. Well, eventually they do run out of food again and the whole family is literally about to die of starvation So Jacob's son Judah comes to him and says, listen, dad, 
I will stake my life on Benjamin's safety. You've got to let us take him back. Finally, under great stress, Jacob relents. He says, okay, do it. This will probably kill me. But I guess that's better than all of us dying. And so they go. The ten remaining sons head to Egypt on this second journey. And Joseph sees his brothers again. And this time he sees Benjamin. And it hits him like a ton of bricks. Joseph was robbed of a relationship with his brother Benjamin. And again, that pain comes to the surface. So he goes off to a private room and he breaks down crying. But Joseph pulls himself together and he does send the brothers back home with food. But he ratchets up the drama to another level. Joseph goes to the steward of his house and he says, Hey, Mr. Steward, I want you to take my silver cup and hide it in the bag of food that belongs to my brother Benjamin. Joseph is setting up Benjamin to look like a thief. And so, as the brothers just get outside the city, this steward rides up and confronts them, and he says, hey, you stole my master's cup. Why did you return his kindness with evil? And the brothers are like, what are you talking about, bro? And the steward said, the silver cup. You stole my master's silver cup. And the brothers said, there's no way we would do that. We're not crazy. In fact, you can go ahead and search. If you find that cup in any of our bags, you can kill the one who has it. And the steward says, okay, let's search. And of course, when they get to Benjamin's bag, there it is, the cup. And the brothers are like, no, 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 not Benjamin. The Bible says they tore their clothes they're dragged back into the city, back in front of Joseph, and, and all of them are completely distraught by this point. They, they kind of give up. They, they said, we have nothing to say. We have no defense. I guess we're all just your slaves. And Joseph says, no, you, you, I don't need all of you, just the one who took my cup. Judah, uh, Ju, uh, Judah approaches Joseph, and he says, please, sir, don't do this. I guarantee you, if we come home without our brother Benjamin, my father will literally die of grief. So please, let me take his place. Don't bring this misery down on my father. And that's it. Joseph is done. He can't take it anymore. And this is what happens on this second trip to Egypt. Joseph threatens to keep Benjamin as a slave, but he finally reveals himself to his brothers. And it's such a powerful moment. I want to read you exactly what it says here. Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Now I am sure 
I have never gotten a shock in my life that comes close to this. The brothers are just standing there with their mouths open and they're thinking, hold on, this is Joseph? No way! And he's in charge here? He's running Egypt? That is awesome! Oh wait, no, that's not awesome! He's going to kill us! And of course, Joseph could have done that. He could have killed them then and there. He had the authority, he had the power... But the brothers are about to see why Joseph is so extraordinary. And it's the same reason why he's still extraordinary today. You see, through all the seasons of his life, when he was a slave, when he was in prison, when he became the governor of Egypt, and now when he's standing in front of his brothers, Joseph kept trusting God. He kept believing that God was with him. And that God would be the one to set things right if he kept trusting him. Listen to what he says next. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Egypt, the one, the, your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God knew what he was doing all along. Now, of course, God doesn't want to see anyone sold into slavery. God doesn't condone cruelty of any kind. At the same time, though, God never wastes a hurt. So Joseph says to his brothers, God took your bad and he turned it into something good. So don't beat yourselves up. It's okay. And you know what Joseph is doing right here? He's doing two things. First, he doesn't get revenge, which he could have done, and that is called mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. But Joseph goes beyond mercy, and he offers forgiveness. He offers grace, and grace is when you do get something that you don't deserve. So Joseph offers both mercy and grace. He says to his brothers, go back. And get our father. Get get your families and bring them back here to Egypt. And I'm going to set you up down here. You're going to have everything you need and we will be together. And that leads up to the third and final trip the brothers make. Joseph brings all of his extended family down to Egypt. The brothers go back to their father and they say, Hey, Dad, we're back. We, We did bring home a bunch of food. We brought brought Benjamin back too, but we also brought back some crazy news. You might want to sit down for this. Joseph is alive. He's down in Egypt. He's running the whole country, and he wants us to go down there and all live together. Naturally, Jacob has a hard time believing this, but eventually he does come around. And as you can imagine... As they pack up, travel down, and Jacob sees Joseph again, there is this extremely emotional reunion. They immediately throw their arms around each other, and they just weep and weep. You may have noticed there's a lot of crying in this story. Jacob says, now I can die because I've seen that you're alive. 
But Jacob doesn't die yet. He lives 17 more years down in Egypt with his family. But finally, that day does come. Jacob dies, and then Joseph's brothers remember that guilt one more time. And they say to each other, maybe Joseph was just waiting until dad was gone, and now he's finally going to get revenge. Joseph hears about this, and he hasn't changed. Listen to what he says in Genesis 50, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In the end, Joseph knew his place. He says, I'm not God. You don't answer to me. You answer to him. And my part is to trust him, to believe that he's with me, to believe that he works all things together for my good and for his glory. Those beliefs gave Joseph the freedom to show mercy and grace. He has the freedom to end a vicious cycle that was passed down from generation to generation. If you go back and read, his grandfather hurt his father. His father hurt his brothers. His brothers hurt him. And Joseph says, no, it ends here. He ended that vicious cycle in his family. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you have a very powerful reason to extend mercy and grace. See, you can show that mercy and grace because that's exactly what God has done for you. When you give your life to Christ, you don't get what you do deserve, which is eternal death. And you do get what you don't deserve, which is eternal life. And from that point on, God expects us to follow his example. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. We might not feel like it's a blessing to forgive others. You might have a a strong sense of justice. It's not fair for that other person to hurt me and then get away with it. But let's be clear on this. Forgiveness does not mean you have to be a doormat. Forgiveness does not not mean you have to let someone hurt you again and again and again. You may need to set some boundaries. You may need to take yourself out of a situation. You may need to hold that person accountable and make them deal with the consequences of their actions. However, as you take those steps, you can still show forgiveness. Because forgiveness is not ignoring or forgetting the wrong that was done to you. It's choosing to no longer use the memory of your hurt against others. It's ending the cycle. It's trusting that God's sense of justice is far greater than our own. It's believing that he will set things right in the end. So as we bring this series to a close, I do want to wrestle with this issue of forgiveness Think about that in your own life. Is there someone you need to forgive? Pray about it and then take that step. But I also want to go back to the two big questions that we've been asking in this series. What difference does it make when you truly believe that God is with you? What difference does it make when you truly believe that he will eventually set things right if you keep trusting him? 
Now this morning we got specific answers to those questions as it relates to forgiveness and mercy and grace. But I want to zoom out on Joseph's life one more time and get the big picture. Because I believe God has some important lessons to teach us here. Now over the past few weeks we've looked at this timeline many times. And as I said back in week one, Joseph's life was like a roller coaster. Lots of ups and downs, lots of highs and lows. And you know what? Most of us have that in common with Joseph. If God blesses you with a long life, you will see plenty of highs and plenty of lows. But we need to be aware that we all have certain tendencies as humans. First, as we go through those high points in life, when things are going really well, we have a tendency to forget God. And why would that be? Well, when you're in the middle of happiness and prosperity, it's easy to forget that you are still completely dependent on God. Every good thing you have in life came from Him. All the money you have, every breath that you breathe, Every good gift is from Him. But when you don't feel that sense of utter dependence, it's easy to ignore God, to ignore what He calls you to do, what He calls you to not do, what He he wants you to do with your life. Troy talked about this last week. We need to stop and look at our blessings. What's in your hand? How could God use your blessings to bless others? That's why we're here, you know. Love God, love people. We're not here to uh, entertain ourselves or pursue our own pleasure. We're blessed to be a blessing. So we need to look out for that tendency on the top half of this timeline, but there's another tendency to look out for on the bottom half, and it's this. At those low points, when life gets tough, as we go through trials and tribulations, We have a tendency to fight God. And for some of us, we're aggressive about that. You literally shake your fist at God and you say the worst things you can think of to say. But you know, there are multiple ways to fight God. Some of us are more passive than aggressive. Maybe you just start to deny who God is. Maybe you decide God really isn't good. If he was good, why would he allow this to happen? Maybe you decide that God doesn't really keep his promises. Or you decide that God doesn't even exist. Or it could be that you just think God's not doing a very good job, so you step in and try to take his place. You push him off the throne. You take matters into your own hands. But wherever you are today, whether you're in one of those good seasons of life or one of the difficult seasons or somewhere in between, I want to encourage you to remember Joseph. Think about the fact that in every situation, Joseph knew that God was with him, that he would ultimately set things right. But don't stop there. Don't just remember Joseph. I want to encourage you to remember Jesus. I got to thinking about it this week, and you know what? The timeline of Joseph's life looks a lot like the timeline of Jesus. You've got multiple low points, but they lead to those amazing high points. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm leaving out lots of important events here, but let's think about it. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, 
The Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. At his baptism, God the Father said to Jesus, you are my beloved son. I am well pleased with you. That's great. That that favor was a high point. But then, almost as soon as his ministry began, the crowds began to turn on Jesus. Very early on, they actually try to kill him. But then there were high points along the way. Lots of them. In just a few days before he died, Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and he was celebrated as a hero, as a king. Many people saw him as the Messiah. But then it was just a few days later that Jesus was arrested and beaten, and he was nailed to a Roman cross. It seemed like it was the ultimate low point. But God the Father was always with Jesus the Son. He was always working for his ultimate good and for the greater glory of God. The sacrifice of Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. His sacrifice made it possible for us to receive salvation. That's part of God's bigger plan. And then finally came the most amazing miracle of all time. Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb was empty. But even that wasn't the end of the story. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When you look at that timeline, it looks a lot like the timeline of Joseph. It also looks like the timeline that God wants for your life. I want to challenge you to do this this week. Sit down and write out the timeline of your life up to this point. What have been the highs and the lows? And how has that gone? Have you been tempted to forget God or fight God? When you surrender your life to Jesus, yes, there will be low points, but they'll lead to those amazing high points. So don't give in to those tendencies. Trust him through the good times, through the bad times. Keep believing that God is with you and that he will set things right. I love 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, which says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. It's like the end of that timeline. You know, that is a great summary of Joseph's life. He humbled himself. He trusted God. And you know what? That could also be the story of your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. When we go to your word and we listen to what you have to tell us, it changes us. It changes our lives. And it changes our future. So Lord, help us to listen to you. Help us to trust you, to not forget you during those good times or to stop fighting you during the difficult times. Lord, I pray that you will use us to help others come to know your goodness, the fact that you keep your promises, the fact that you will eventually set things right if we keep trusting in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.